Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 17 of Ashley on Air. I cannot believe it's basically the middle of April, um, and I am so honored today. I have Dr. Vivian Chen with me. We are going to be talking about all things allergies and sensitivities, and I am so honored that you're here. Thank you so much. I know your time is valuable and you're very busy, so thank you again. I have a lot of gratitude for you joining us. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you, Ashley, and thank you so much for inviting me. I'm super honor to be on your show. I'm a big fan of yours. Oh, I'm a big fan of yours. And when I ask, I do the, you know, the Q&A on Instagram, which is like all the rave these days, the Instagram and the asking of the questions, um, you know, who I should bring on and your name came up a, a bunch of times. And oh, so, I'm so I was like, yeah. yeah, I'm so grateful for this community because um, people really support my work. And through that, that just gives me so much motivation to do more and more. So I'm very grateful. It is, you know what, it is a great community. And I think that, um, you know, inside of our, it's not a, I guess it is a little world, but we're making big waves. But, you know, we've made some great connections. And I'm, I'm just so proud of the work that you, you do and, you know, everybody else does. And it's just such a, a nice feeling. And like you said, motivating to be a part of of yes. that and it's a I feel like it's a big movement would you kind of yeah, agree that absolutely. It's like and you know my followers inspire me every day because they ask really good questions and they challenge me and make me learn more and yeah. I love so much. yeah and uh, you know and connecting with people like you of course and I learn lots from you and all the other healthcare practitioners yeah. um so because you know we don't want to be stuck in one mode, right? It's so good to connect with people from different who use different modalities to help their patients and clients. Um, yeah, it's just a great time to be alive, I think. It really, it really <laughs> is. And I can, I don't know if I can speak for all of us, but a few years ago when I graduated um, and, and started my practice, I kind of felt... Um, and there was, there was a few like Dr. Gonzalez and a few others that I was close with, but I felt a little bit alone, you know, mm -hmm. like we, yep. we were kind of afraid to push the envelope. Mm -hmm. uh, but then it was just like, you know what, forget it. Like we know what we know, we know what we're talking about. And once everybody started, you know, talking and kind of vibing on the same frequency, so to speak, exactly. we all just kind of banded together, but I, I am so grateful that it brought us together, and I'm a big fan of you and your work as well, and I love, you know, your family aspect of things and how um, essentially what brought you to the integrative side of things is, mm -hmm. you know, your daughter, so why don't you just introduce yourself, tell us like your background and, and all of the things that kind of led you to where you are now. Sure, of course. So um, I am a UK medical doctor. Um, I trained in London, uh, went to medical school for five years, and then did the usual. So I did uh, a residency in internal medicine, got board certified, and then um, I did one year in dermatology and then switched over to family practice for the rest of my career. So in total, I practiced an, as an allopathic med medical doctor for 14 years. Um, and Actually, all through medical school, I absolutely enjoyed my training. So I loved studying the human body, biology, physiology, pharmacology, all of that. Yeah. Um, and really, I 
it sounds corny, but I went into medicine to help people. And I felt like I was ready to, to go help people when I graduated. Uh-huh. Um, and little did I know that actually I wasn't taught nearly enough of the stuff I needed to know. Um, so the beginning of my kind of residency, I did a lot of acute medicine. So I was working in the ER and dealing with acute medical conditions. And my, my training actually really equipped me with that very well. And I did feel very rewarded with my career. Mm-hmm. But slowly as I transitioned into family practice, I saw more and more chronic medical conditions. And in fact, about 80% of my workload was chronic medical conditions. Um, and that's when I started to feel like something was missing. Um, but I, didn't, I couldn't really put my finger on it. I just kind of was just kind of still doing my job day to day and something was nagging at me inside yeah um and i think everything came to a head and i had my epiphany moment when i had my daughter um so she was born um and when she was i I breastfed her Mm -hmm. and when she was eight weeks she completely stopped feeding she had problems feeding from when she was born anyway so she didn't latch properly and she didn't feed properly but um, I used I used the service of lactation consultants to help me sure. uh, kind of get over that. Sure. Um, but when she was eight weeks old, she actually stopped feeding. She became so dehydrated, mm. she had to be admitted to hospital for tube feeding. That's and as a mother, I already know that feeling had to have been just so helpless it's your child you know and you can't exactly. figure out why they're not thriving and I know how scary that is yeah. yeah and then that that was the culmination but you can imagine the whole eight weeks the struggles that was involved I mean I, yeah. I cannot describe to you how many doctors we've seen how many alternative therapies I've been to just to help her mm-hmm. just to figure out what the problem was but right. her problem was just that she wasn't feeding and so, you know, people labeled her with reflux. And then uh, I saw an osteopath and said, oh, she was born this way. And her you know, spine was aligned. She literally had every treatment of the sun. Yeah. But then eventually, because she got so dehydrated, I had to, we had to get her admitted. And just to save her life, she had to be tube fed so that, mm-hmm. um, you know, she, kept be, she could be kept alive. Um, so I think the moment that tube went down through her nose into her stomach, it was so heart-wrenching and so difficult for me. Everything changed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even when I think about it now, I, I still get a lump in my throat. Because, yeah. You know, as a mom, you feel like you felt your child, failed your child. And then yeah. as a doctor... You, you question, you ask yourself, why is it that I've spent all my life coming to this place and I can't even help my own daughter? Yeah. So everything changed from that, that moment. And I, um, you know, mother's instinct, right? I delved into the research to try and help her, looked up. You know, I wasn't even questioning that I wasn't taught the right you know, I wasn't given the right tools and information at medical school. Sure. I, I was just kind of like, I have to help my child. That's it. So what, you know, that was the motivation that drove me. So I delved into the research and I found 
a paper dating back to 19, I think it was 1983. Wow. On cow's milk protein allergy and the symptoms exactly matched her symptoms. Aversion to feeding, the abdominal pain, the, you know, the mimicking reflux. Right. Um, and I was like, why have I never even heard of this? And why was this not in medical text? So it's from 1986. I know that it takes, you know, 20, 30 years for new pieces of research to get into textbooks and sure. practice. So yeah. that was already, you know, she was born in 2008. So you know, she, there was plenty of time that just wasn't in mainstream medical literature. So um, that opened up, I think it's just kind of step-by-step process. I realized that, you know, she had cow's milk protein allergy. We switched her. There wasn't enough time for me to eliminate dairy from my diet. So we switched her over to this hypoallergenic formula and she was better within two weeks. Um, And then another moment came when, you know, we were in the allergist office when she was Mm -hmm. better and we went back for a follow-up and I asked the allergist, so is there anything I can do to help her? You know, and and the answer was no. Just pray um, that she'll grow out of it because some children do, and that was just not good enough. Yeah, not good enough. So um, I again had to delve into the research, look, and that was when I actually discovered the microbiome and how important the gut microbiome was, and that was back in two thousand and eight. So way before it's now, you know very well understood and you know widely talked about so that was quite a difficult time for me to like try and research everything when nobody else was talking talking about it my colleagues were like what do you mean like you know microbiome they don't understand that the word and they were making fun of me and so going back to what you were talking about earlier at the beginning of the show the loneliness it was a really lonely time because it's something that's not understood. People were mocking me. And, but, you know, I, it's what you believe in. It's what the evidence shows. Then that's, you know, you go with it. So through dietary changes and lifestyle changes, she's now allergy-free. She was allergic to four foods, cow's milk, cow's milk uh, eggs, wheat, um, and peanuts. She's, de- she's completely allergy-free now. Um, but I also have a son who is also allergic. He actually was allergic to 10 different foods. Uh, and now he's allergic to just three. I say just. I mean, still a big deal. But yeah, know, three compared to 10 is, is a lot better. <laughs> right. So so just, and then and one of the things I wanted to have you help me cover on the show is the difference between like a, an actual food allergy and a sensitivity. So your your children have actual severe allergies uh, and I and I think that a lot of people there's blurred lines between yes. you know food sensitivity and a food allergy. Um, a food allergy is is a big a bigger deal. Um, food sensitivities are definitely definitely um, a viable thing, um, but there is a major difference in that. And so your you know your your children having actual allergies to foods you know, were a major game changer for you. Whereas a lot of people today are living with food sensitivities and which some people don't even realize, like they could yeah. eat something and like, Oh, it makes my stomach hurt a little bit, but it's okay. I can deal with it. They might not understand it's 
you know, could be causing more major issues, but in your, in your experience and your research with what happened with your children as to where they are now, um, you know, give us kind of a breakdown, if you don't mind, of the difference between an allergy and a food sensitivity. Sure. sure. So yeah, like you said, it's very blurred. And I think the terms food intolerance, food sensitivities, and food allergies have been used interchangeably and and probably not according to the medical definition. So if you're going strictly by the medical definition, a food allergy is an immune response. So it involves your immune system that's attacking the food, which then brings about inflammatory changes in your body and gives you the reactions that you see. Um, So for example, a food allergy to peanuts, if you eat that, um, activates the IgG, the antibodies, which then cause mast cells to degranulate and cause histamine to be released. And then you see the lip swelling, the wheezing, you know, God forbid it doesn't happen, but throat closing off anaphylaxis. Right. Um, But it could be, you know, hives and skin itching, and that's also histamine effect. So food allergies involve the immune system. Now, officially food sensitivities and intolerances don't involve the immune system so they're kind of um that just the body cannot tolerate those foods it cannot digest it so for example lactose intolerance is the absence of lactase um, and many of us lose lactase as we get older um, and you cannot break down lactose in for example cow's milk Um, and then that that sugar gets translocated into your colon where it can ferment and cause symptoms like bloating, gas, diarrhea. Mm -hmm. So officially, that's the distinction. One involves the immune response and can be potentially very dangerous. And the other one, um, although not dangerous, can be very uncomfortable and impair quality of life, but it doesn't involve the immune system. However, I've... I do see a lot of people being labeled with food sensitivities, but then they go to do this test, which is IgG based. And so that is immune system. That's an antibody. So the lines are very blurred. And so I think there's very much this school of thought that allergies are life-threatening, more serious, and then food sensitivities, intolerances are not as serious. Um, but if you're going strictly by the line, then you really should be looking whether it's immune system involved attack on the body or just intolerance, lack of enzymes, toxins, or um, the body just, you know, not being able to break down the food. Right. And then, and then at the, I'm sure you do the same thing, but um, in practice, <laughs> trying to explain the, you know, the blurred line and make it not so blurry for people. Um, I, I like to use rep reputable companies, as I'm sure you do as well, where we're not just testing the IgG, we're doing the IgE and IgA as well. And then we're also looking at other inflammatory markers because that can tell you how long the person has been dealing with a certain intolerance. Um, If it's an allergy, it's an allergy. I mean, I I think it's a little bit more um, clear. I think an obvious, you know, if they do have some allergy. Um, But a big question that I get a lot, and maybe you do too, is, 
you know, will I, first of all, first of all, if it's cow's milk and they're like, will I be allergic to this for the rest of my life? And I'm like, well, you don't have to be, but you are right now. And like, congratulations, because you don't need dairy. We don't need to be eating cheese and milk and all of that, no matter how much you love it. (laughs) It's, you know, congratulations, because you shouldn't be eating those things. Um, But for the most part, like wheat and, and things like that, that can be fixed with say diet and lifestyle you know how do you how do you approach that when someone's like but i you know i really want to be able to eat these things again you know what other markers are you looking for what other things are you having them change yeah so um it depends on the age actually and the type of food because for example peanut allergy that's kind of initiated from usually starts from childhood is quite hard to grow out of uh and that's usually ige based so there's so we, we touched on this earlier, um, and just for your listeners who don't know the classification of the, the, the antibodies, there's IgE and IgG and Ig. well, there's actually lots of different classes. Yeah. But, <laughs> but the, the same purposes, yeah, yeah, but the big ones in terms of allergy and intolerance, we're thinking about IgE for immediate allergies, immediate mm-hmm. symptoms, IgG for more the delayed and IgA also for more the delayed type. Yeah. So um, for, for example, peanut allergy, which usually involves IgE, um, you'll get immediate symptoms within 24 hours. And then the IgG, IgA mediated, or let's call it um, non-IgE. So that's kind of puts the rest of the, the reactions into the same, into that category. So the non-IgE mediated that tends to be more delayed and you don't see um, any symptoms for maybe, you know, up to two to three days. And you may see it, you know, three to, day, three to five days later, especially for delayed reactions like dermatitis, eczema. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you don't see it until five days. So um, that's, that's, there's a dis- distinction there. And usually the delayed type, we see more onset in adulthood Right. Um, and those I feel are easier to kind of overcome with changes in the, your lifestyle and diet because the IgE type I feel has quite a strong genetic component. And studies suggest, you know, anywhere between 20 to 50% genetic predisposition to I, the IgE um, mediated allergies and mm-hmm. and so tra- trying to change your genes and epigenetics takes right. a lot longer than um <laughs> yeah you've just kind of acquired because of leaky gut for example right and and we touched a little bit on microbiome and and you know having t- to learn all about that and i there i don't know that we'll ever know every single you know, part and component and, you know, bacteria and and organism that live in the gut because there's just so many and they each have such specific actions. But for everybody, especially women, you know, we're passed down our, you know, great grandmother's basically microbiome, you know, her microorganisms and things like that. So, you know, we're working really hard now. And I think as a humankind, we're making this shift where, you know, we, we really want the human experience to be what it's supposed to be. We're not supposed to be full of disease and, mm-hmm. and all these things, which is what's happening. And it, it shouldn't be with everything we know and all of the things we're capable of, we should be exactly. healing and we should be better. Exactly. Uh, but with the microbiome, you know, how much are you seeing of that being passed down from, you know, generations and you're, you're coming and you're doing history, not only of the person, but also of, you know, more of their, you know, 
the maternal side of things. Absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, such an important um, aspect to look into because those bacteria um, are passed down that specifically designed for our genetic predispositions, right? So we are all different. We have, all have different genetic um, subsets and the foods feed, you know, maybe that's why, and I think we touched on this a little bit before, ancestral eating, like what the foods your ancestors eat, mm -hmm. dictate what bacteria live in their gut and therefore switching on different genes that may actually um, play a very important role in, you know, disease disease progression. So for example, we know that um, immigrants have higher um, rates of allergies in this country. So right. you know, an Asian who moves from, let's say, China to America, they have a higher instance or prevalence of allergies. And so right. is it the, the environment is now, you know, upregulating and changing the microbiome, which then is sending signals to the genes and, and the genes are like, no, no, we don't. We're not used to those bacteria. Yeah. We're not used to those signals. So let's, um, this is not right. So the immune system's then ramped up and then you get a push into this TH2, the, so T help, you know, the T cells are mm -hmm. responsible for antibody production. So then right. you get this imbalance between the TH1 and TH2. Um, so yeah, it's very interesting to look at the environment and how it's impacting on our um, gut microbiome. But unfortunately, our microbiome is getting less and less diverse. Um, and I think that's why we're seeing more and more chronic diseases. This is my personal opinion. Obviously, there are many other things like the food that we're eating and environmental toxins, but I think it is an important factor. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And we talk a lot about also um, on, on the show and in practice about, you know, there's not a whole lot we can, like you said, environmental things. I mean, unfortunately, we are exposed to so many different, you know, I mean, the, the air pollution, air quality, um, you know, the radiation around us at all times. Um, so it's just really important to, to make sure we're doing the foundational things, which for me, um, in, in practice, I always preach the three magic elixirs, which is sun, sweat, and sleep. You know, if you're at least doing those things, you know, you're, you're doing a really good job for your body. But, you know, air quality, I've seen you post before about, um, you know, air quality inside the home and how sometimes inside the home is more um, pollutant than outside the yeah. home just because yeah. we have a toxic environment. So I'm yeah. sure that, you know, once you, you started on your journey with your daughter and now what you do in practice, I mean, you know, significantly improve like the inside of your home as far as like, you know, air filters and things like that. Like, what are you recommending to your people that, because, because I'm sure you see people who have like these severe, that are allergic to so many things. I do too. People come to me and they're like, I, oh my gosh, I can't even eat. I can't eat anything. I can eat basically three things without my body freaking out. Yeah. Um, you know, and eczema and the autoimmune responses all the time. So, you know, what are, what are some of the things that you're helping with those? Okay. So when I see that on a food sensitivities test, um, I just think that the gut um, membrane is broken. Yeah. Okay. So that's why there's so much sensitivity rather than, yes, you are truly allergic. You know, you obviously we have the anaphylactic type reactions, right. which, you know, I don't recommend anyone to attempt you know, reversing or trying to do anything about without the direction of a doctor. Because Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. You know, we're just talking about food sensitivities where, you know, I'm not saying that it doesn't matter, but, you know, let's say migraine or those kind of symptoms where you can actually right. 
work on diet and lifestyle changes yourself. So um, if we, I think I really just cannot talk enough about the gut membrane and uh, leaky gut dysbiosis and the microbiome's role in allergies. We know that, for example, um, air pollution is heavily correlated with incidence of allergy, and that's why in urban areas there's higher incidence of allergies. Right. Um, and that's because the pollutants have a direct effect on our um, body, so on the microbiome, and also it produces oxidative stress, so it, it causes inflammation in our body. So we, and you know, it's, it's more about working with clients to f meet them where they're at rather than right. just telling them depressing facts like that and saying what <laughs> can do. So, yeah. we, so with air pollution, we can't do anything about outdoor air pollution, but we can do things that upregulate, you know, um, and antioxidants in our body. For example, eating um, a plant-rich, phytochemical-rich diet that will help then um, neutralize some of the damages that can be caused by free radicals. And there have been studies that show that a phytochemical rich diet can reduce symptoms of asthma, for example. So um, our diet can play a huge role. Hydration is really important. Um, and, you know, like you mentioned before, sleep, super important. And, you know, those lifestyle factors. Um, and then, Going, going to the gut. So if I see lots of sensitivities and I ha I feel that um, the client may have leaky gut, for example, mm -hmm. then it's kind of looking at the four, four or five R's, whichever one you use. But you know, the remove, remove any toxins or remove any foods that may be inflaming your gut and causing the gut lining to break down. Um, replacing it with uh, foods that are nourishing. Mm -hmm. Then, um, you know, but I think the, the removing part is really important. People immediately, you know, lots of people um, come to me and they say, well, I have um, gut symptoms, so which probiotics should I take? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, that's like absolutely the last stage of gut healing. <laughs> right, right. Um, we need to remove whatever is causing damage first. And so that's, it, that could be the food that you're eating. If it's full of antibiotics, for example, CAFO farmed meat that's full right. of antibiotics, that's going to affect the microbiome. Um, and, you know, pesticides in foods that also have an effect on the microbiome. So removing that or a food sensitivity. So if you're sensitive to gluten and you keep eating it, that's going to cause damage in the gut lining as well. So if you don't work on those first and you just jump straight to pro probiotics, there's just persistent damage going on. And, and in fact, there are now studies showing that probiotics is, um, a lot of probiotic brands don't colonize. So it doesn't actually change the composition of your gut. Um, but more kind of, it's like uh, vitamins that you take, they have pass-through effects. So they do, they can exert positive health changes, but it's right. temporary while it's in your gut. And sure. it's not kind of a, through changing your microbiome. So um, taking the focus away from probiotics and looking at your lifestyle and, you know, what you can do, for example, going outside um, into nature to repopulate your microbiome that's bacteria in soil and we need to get back to nature to 
now bring back diversity of our microbiome. And that's why I think um, studies show having a pet can reduce incidence of allergies. And I feel that it's because they really bring about diversity of microbiome back into your home. You know, you're yeah. going outside and rolling in the mud. There's lots of different micro, you know, bacteria on viruses, fungi on there on them and then you know you're hugging them and you're breathing those um microbiome in then that's going to help your gut as well yeah i mean there's so many so many things like you said getting back to nature i love that so much and you know grounding and we're always talking about grounding and getting in the sun and you know the sun has so many so many benefits and and you know people you can be as technical as you want all day long, but I mean, it's, it's the truth, like the sun and the environment and in nature is, mm-hmm. is probably the most healing thing that you can do. And I know that, you know, since, cause I know your story, but part of, you know, why you are plant-based now is because of your daughter, but also because everything you've learned since, since all of that happened. And yeah. so that's introducing the prebiotics, that's introducing the probiotics and, you know, where you get your food is very important. Yeah. Um, you know, what are the greatest tips that you give your patients when you're, you're helping them tra- either transition to plant-based completely, or at least when buying the best foods possible? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then, um, you know, tips you were mentioning about inside a home, obviously, if you can afford, uh, an air purifier, a good quality air purifier, that's best. But, you know, I don't, I know that not everybody can afford that. So um, plants, house plants like spider, uh, lily, aloe, they can clear the air for you. Um, and just opening, I know it's allergy season now, so <laughs> you may not want to do that if you have severe seasonal allergies, but, you know, just opening up the windows during the day and let your house air because indoor air can be more toxic than outdoor air um and a, very important is filtering your water mm-hmm. oh yeah there's so many pollutants in the water and that can have an effect on your microbiome fluoride has a direct effect on your microbiome so no that could be a whole show all to itself the yeah. fluoride yeah. and everything <laughs> it's, it's doing good. to your body like oh it's it's it's, <laughs> it's yeah. like oh my goodness Oh, it's very scary. But, you know, again, we, we're not here to fear monger. We just want to empower people to live, you know, the best that they can. And, um, you know, and like you said, with allergy season and the food sensitivities and the allergies, um, you know, there is hope, you know, with all of the things that, you know, if you're seeing it, always see a healthcare professional, obviously, but, you know, you don't always, and I would, what I like to call, um, I guess, situational sensitivities, whereas if your gut is in such yeah. horrible shape, you might not, you know, you might be allergic to something right now. Like one thing we had come up in practice the other day was like grapefruit. And it's like, mm-hmm. she's like, I've never reacted to it before. I'm like, well, your stomach doesn't like it right now. And here's why. Right. So if we can heal these things correctly, you know, like you said, remove certain things and then replenish eventually, then, you know, it doesn't always have to be like that, you know? So, you know, you're, you're out there crusading, giving people hope that it doesn't always have to be that way, you. you know? Thank you. And I, yeah, I want to kind of follow up on that point, which is that a lot of, there's so many food sensitivities available now online and not all of them are accurate. Please okay. Yes. Order those and then just kind of act on it and remove all the foods because you can actually get yourself into trouble there. Absolutely. Um, in fact, I only use it as a tool because I know it is not a validated test. Right. For allergy. There's actually no validated test for allergies right now. Absolutely. Nothing is 100% accurate. 
um, I think the ELISA, so the blood test and the skin prick testing for IgE allergy has a 95% specificity, so negative. Um, so it means that if you test negative, that you're 90%, you can be 90% sure that you're not allergic. But for diagnosing whether you're allergic, that's another, you know, if you test positive, for example, my daughter still tests positive for peanuts. Right. She can eat peanuts. So I'm not saying if you test positive just to go and eat peanut, absolutely not. But you need to speak, have that conversation with your doctor and say, hey, is this, is this accurate? Can we work through a protocol? Like, for example, if it is IgE um, allergy, you would want to speak to your allergist and see whether they can carry out a challenge. Definitely don't do it at home, but they can do maybe an in-office challenge with, you know, um, adrenaline and things present to help you if you do develop a reaction because it can be serious. Um, but with the IgG and IgA, there's lots of, I'm sure you've come across it, lots of false positives. Yeah, so um, it, there's a lot of inconsistencies. Like I've, yeah. I'm sure you have as well. Like I've, I've put them up against other, you know, companies or other forms of testing, like a hair test or mm -hmm. a spit test or a bl blood test. And the blood, you know, it's all, you know, blood tests can be, you know, delayed depending on IgG, IgE, IgA, you know. So, um, yeah, it's it really, I mean, there's there's one company I like in particular, and we don't have to name names or anything like that, but I mean, it, like you're saying, if it's a lot of, and that's why I think sometimes it gets um, a little bit of a bad rap, I think more from the yeah. standard standard model of medicine, because really it is so situational and there's yeah. so many variables just like anything else there's so many variables you can't really no two people are the same you could you could have two people walk in your office that just mirror each other exactly with lifestyle but so many other variables it's just it's almost impossible and that's why we look in functional medicine that's why i love you know because we are able to look at you know if if i'm able to also look at certain vitamin deficiencies um and you know certain gut conditions and i can probably tell you why it's reading that you're allergic to, or sensitive i'm sorry to like coffee for instance but you have coffee every single day you know so there's just all different kinds of ways of determining so it's just so important and i love that you said you know, maybe not go buy that test online that will tell you because you're going to end up removing these foods and doing more damage. Right, exactly. Um, and I think it's important to identify, you know, through with a practitioner what you're truly uh, sensitive to. Sensitive and to, the, yes. And the idea is never just to remove all kinds of foods permanently. It's kind of testing it and seeing it, whether it improves your symptoms and then reintroducing. So reintroduction is really important just to see whether yeah. you're actually showing symptoms. And it's really incredible because now that I've seen lots of cases, I, I realize how many people are actually walking around with food intolerances and sensitivities and they just don't know. Yeah. Said earlier. So, you know, the brain fog, they, they just accept these symptoms or, um, practitioners tell them well you, you just you know age it's aging it's part of aging yeah it's aging or you know you didn't get enough sleep or you're stressed or you know you're probably just imagining things because you saw something on tv whatever the case exactly. may be and actually really recently and i see it a lot but more recently i have a client who came in that i am so proud of because she went through i mean she ran the gamut man she she knew there was something going on. She talked to, you know, internists and she actually went to, a, 
she went to a dietitian last year, like summer, and had this whole test ran, and they put her on all these things. And she brings the test to me a year later, and she's even worse. And they overlooked so many things. And I'm like, I mean, I actually like got a tear in my eye for this girl. It was like, I'm so proud of you for listening to your body and not listening to them saying that it's on your head. I am just so proud. We, you know, we ran a sensitivity test and all the things because she knew, like, mm-hmm. she knows. And I learned you so much from body. people. Yeah. So if you feel that you're not right, listen to your body and keep digging. And, you know, I, this could be another show by itself, but you know, <laughs> I had my own health issues. Um, so I was severely brain fogged and had anxiety, insomnia. And I was told that I was just stressed out mom. Um, mm-hmm. but actually I was mercury toxic. I had gluten sensitivity. Yeah. And it was just, it was missed. And, but I, I listened to my body. I knew it just wasn't right for a 30 year old, uh, young lady to be yeah. pulling over, driving home from work just to nap so she can be safe on the road. Right. That's not normal. That's not no. stress. Yeah. That's not getting old. I wasn't even old then. <laughs> so, <laughs> Absolutely you know, not. Yeah. So, but there's so much of that. And, you know, I think that that's why every, when people talk about gut healing, you know, we, we always have to look at first, whether you're, you're eating things that could be pulling your body. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because that, those, that's could be causing inflammation in the body. And then, that's, you know, people need to know that first, in my opinion. Absolutely. That's so important. And um, yeah, I mean, just like I, I kind of have the same things going on. And um, I was actually told by a doctor, uh, I was told two things by him that changed my life. Um, that if I keep digging, I will find something. <laughs> yeah, I will. And that if that any... Goal? Yeah. I'm like, what? And then the other thing that he said was handle it with skillful neglect. And I thought, mm, cause at that time I was also kind of on a more allopathic path. Oh wow! Okay. And I was like, I don't think I could ever in my heart, in my soul mm-hmm. feel right about telling someone to handle a health condition with skillful neglect. Mm-hmm. Or if you keep digging, you're going to find something like <laughs> yeah. that's why I'm here. I'm in pain, you know? So I think, right. you know, our own personal experiences and what shapes us and what mm-hmm. kind of scares us to change our lives is what enables us to research so much more deeply and really meet people. Like you said, meet people where they're at because you've been there Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you see it a lot and, you know, you just, and I'm, you know, you're able to kind of have that empathy and say, okay, you know what, do you want to take a gradual step or do you want to jump into this? Because right. <laughs> we can yeah. do it however you want. Exactly. And you often see that it's those with more severe symptoms you, that they just dive in, right? They, they're like, okay, I'm oh, yeah. willing to do everything. Let's mm-hmm. just change everything. Yep. I've come this far. Let's go. <laughs> exactly. Let's and then, it's so you know, people with grumbling symptoms, perhaps they are not a believer yet. Right. We're planting seeds and then (laughs) slowly they're making changes, but I'm happy with that. I'm happy with any step in the right direction. Absolutely. Um, So yeah, a lot of my clients, um, what their first email to me is, you're plant-based. Does that mean that you're going to make me vegan? (laughs) that's not what it's about like you know my dietary choice doesn't have to impact yours my goal is just health you know our goal is health so whether it means vegan diet or you know just 
just adding more plants in that it doesn't matter what you can do whatever you can manage in a positive direction is going to be great Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So I know that you said you had to run at a certain time, but I do have a couple of questions. Um, if you have time to answer a few, I think they're kind of important and they, okay, great. They, they kind of touch on what we already, um, talked about, but Mm -hmm. we, I was, well, I don't know, maybe they're just asking for advice, but they're asking if we're familiar with, um, FPIs, F-P-I-E-S and yeah. young children. Yeah. Um, and I said, that's a great question. So we'll cover it. So can you kind of just give an overview of like what that is and how you can just in, in a nutshell kind of go about starting a protocol? Yeah. So that's, um, that's a food protein induced enterocolitis. Like, like, um, like cow protein and, and things so like that. Very commonly cow's protein, cow's milk protein, but mm-hmm. it could be any food. Uh, and I've seen it with all kinds of different foods. Um, now that's uh, increasing in frequency. It used to be so rare. I never saw a case in my medical training. Um, it is now more and more common. And you know, if you, I think it's in the, some medical text now. Um, but essentially, it is, in my opinion, it's not. I think there's still a lot of research going on because it's quite a new phenomenon. Right. But, in my opinion, it's I feel I feel that it's the delayed type food allergy. So okay. um, because when you eliminate those foods, the symptoms go away or the symptoms improve. Okay, so that's the basis on which people kind of are assuming that it's a, a type of food allergy, um, but it's delayed. So it's not IgE. You don't see symptoms straight away, and in fact, a lot of symptoms are hidden in the gut. So. Um, See, this is the, the, this is why I actually started blogging in the first place because I feel a lot of these symptoms that um, children and infants are experiencing are being mislabeled. Yeah, um, they they're crying, they're in pain, they have what's you know labeled as colic uh, or reflux. Reflux is just I feel that it's so overdiagnosed in infants because really? you know if, if a baby doesn't want to feed or they they throw up after feeding or they're crying excessively after feeding, they're labeled as reflux without very much testing. Right. Um, and then they put on antacids um, and big studies just show that there's a correlation between use of that in infancy and increased instance of allergies. So, yeah. and again, that goes back to changing the microbiome because you're Absolutely. Uh, gastric acid. So, sorry, I, I think I digressed very <laughs> It's okay. Essentially, um, the food protein is uh, causing inflammation in the gut, and that's causing symptoms like, you know, vomiting, pain, uh, abdominal pain, um, not wanting to feed. So a lot of um, uh, children may have symptoms like failure to thrive because they're not eating enough or their, you know, food is getting stuck in the gullet. So there's another related condition called EOE, eosinophilic esophagitis uh-huh. and that's where the inflammation is in the gullet in the esophagus um but fpis is usually you know enterocolitis so basically yeah. large or small intestines um so i would um i would talk to your practitioner about looking at gut health thinking about healing the gut and minimizing toxic exposures reducing inflammation in the body um and definitely elimination of those foods it can be actually quite difficult to identify the foods because 
the foods that you're allergic to in FPIs doesn't show up on testing very well. And so it takes a lot of effort to work with a practitioner who can identify those foods accurately, eliminate, and while working on the overall uh, immune system. Right. To balance it out. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I think as of right now, most of the medical literature on that particular condition um, has a very set set of symptoms, like a couple of hours afterwards, a severe dehydration. Um, I think there's like all, they have vomiting and all the things. And I don't, I, in my experience, and I don't have much with it, like you said, it, I mean, I don't see it much and I don't work much with children. Okay. Um, but um, I, I I see, you know, there's all, there's more things. There's like stomach pain. There's like, you know, the severe stomach pain, which I think is a lot more common because it is such a delayed thing. Um, And they're saying, oh my, you know, my child is just complaining of their stomach hurting all the time, you know? So it's like they're, it just, it's hard to label because there's IBS, there's, you know, all these things that used to not be very common in children, but they are now because everyone's messing up their (laughs) microbiome. Yeah, exactly. So that's where I would start. So I just, it really hurts me to see how much food sensitivity is being missed. You know, like a child having daily abdominal pain or migraines and not performing at well, school not focusing. Please ask your practitioner whether there could be a food sensitivity issue because that can literally, like I've seen children change like within two weeks of eliminating the culprits. But obviously don't just do it without direction because children need a full range of nutrients and elimination can deplete nutrients. So make sure you work with someone to do that. But it's absolutely back of the mind. Yeah. And have like, you know, your maternal or paternal, you know, motherly, fatherly instincts, you know, just, you know, pay attention, I think is another good thing to do. Exactly. Yeah, tune into your instincts. Yeah. I mean, your family, you're really, you know, if we're self-healing and we're, you know, we're giving everybody the information or or we're learning the information ourselves to do the research, then, you know, you really can be your own best healer. But obviously work with a professional because, you know, children, children need so many nutrients, you know, especially up to the age of four. I mean, there's just so many things that they need. Um, Okay. So one more question, and I think you're going to be able to answer this one very well. What are some natural remedies and healing things we can do for our breastfed infants with milk and soy protein intolerance, egg allergies, and allergic colitis? That's so a big one. <laughs> infant is breastfed um, and is allergic to soy, eggs, cow's milk. And cow's milk, yes. Okay. Um, and has colitis. Yeah. Okay. So is the mom eliminating the food. That's the first thing. First thing. Okay. That's very important because the mom and I, I did, I passed dairy. So cow's milk protein through my daughter, through my breast milk. She was exclusively breastfed. Um, now it can take three weeks for that food to get out of the mom's of mom's body. So, um, you know, if the symptoms are not very severe now, colitis can be very severe symptoms. You know, you could have bloody stools, you could become dehydrated and malabsorption. And so make sure that it is safe for you to continue breastfeeding, first of all. Um, you know, if the child is very sick, maybe look at alternative. I never want to tell anybody to, you know, the decision to breastfeed, to continue to breastfeeding or not is very personal. Um, but if the child is not thriving or there's any signs of danger, then 
you know, think about alternatives with a practitioner. Um, whilst pumping, maybe. So, you know, if there's allergen in the milk, you can still pump to kill, keep the um, supply up and then just remove the food uh, from the diet for three weeks. Um, and work on your own microbiome because, you know, that changes the breast milk and, you know, that can actually influence your baby's microbiome as well. We know a lot of um, there's bacteria in the breast milk and, you know, also you, the microbiome is being passed between mom and baby just through skin, skin to skin contact as well. So um, I actually realized through my daughter that I had leaky gut. Because why would I, you know, breastfeeding is supposed to be protective of allergies. So why is my daughter getting allergic to my breast milk? Because I had leaky gut. I was leaking big cow's milk proteins into my bloodstream, which then is getting my, into my breast milk. And then so moms always put themselves last, but sometimes you got to think about getting yourself well in order to protect your baby as well. True. Yeah, that's true. It definitely starts with the mom and unfortunately the mom's mom. So sometimes we have to do some damage control and, and really work to help, you know, reverse some of those things. And, but, you know, breastfeeding, even though there are, you know, uh, if you do have food sensitivities and, and if this, I'm sorry that this person who's sending the question, I'm sorry that the baby and everybody's dealing with that sort of thing. Uh, but like you said, pump to keep it up because even though, you know, certain things are found, unfortunately in breast milk, you're still, you know, doing the, the baby much more favors, you know, other than going to formula. And like you said, if they're not thriving and they need that, then that's fine. But the, the, everything that they get through breast milk is so, 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 so important throughout life. I mean, it really does set the stage for everything. Everything can pretty much be linked back to your breastfed days. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, you know, the whole is but more than the sum of the parts, right? We just don't know what, other magic is there in breast milk so yeah. i always say we always try to work with mom to stick to breastfeeding as much as possible but yeah. if you do have to there is no guilt there's no shame that's why no. medical advances are there to help True. you know babies who cannot thrive and who have medical issues um but yeah try to uh, stick to breastfeeding as much as you can absolutely well, I know you're running out of time. I loved that you were, you know, able to, you know, incorporate the medical aspect and how important, you know, integrative medicine and, and all of the working parts are so important. And that's what we try to look at. And, you know, and I really appreciate your time. I learned so much. I know that, you know, our audience is going to just, they're probably going to just swarm with questions oh. for, for me and probably <laughs> for you as well. But, you know what, thank you so much for being here. Thank I appreciate so it. And uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed every minute. Thank you so much for having me on. Of and course. Why don't you work, Ashley? Oh, you too. Why don't you tell everybody where we can find you? And I'll also put it in the description and link all the things. But if there's sure. something, you know, your website or, or places where people can find you. Yeah. So my website is www.plateforhealth. So P-L-A-T-E-F-U-L-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. And my Instagram handle is at plate4.health. 
perfect. You guys go look her up, follow her if you don't already. She's every day putting like the best tips, um, you know, family meals and great ideas and all, all the things on her pages. And thank you so much for pioneering the way and keep up the good work. And I will talk to you very soon. Yes. Thank you, Ashley. Have a good right. day. Bye-bye.